Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2143. Be prepared to be electrified. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today I'm in, oh, of all beautiful places, Saint-Tropez. Oh, my lucky guy with a very special guest by the name of Voucher Whitfoot. Voucher, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have it in gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? I am, sir. All right, we'll have some fun. Now, as I say that, we're going to be talking about electric vehicles. No clutch involved, right? There's no clutch involved, you know, which is one of the things that we'll need to somehow replace in terms of the excitement that I get from driving a manual, if I'm really honest with you. Yeah, me too. However, you put your foot down in an EV and oh my gosh, it's like being in a slot car, right? You know, it, even in the in the small cars that we produce, I mean, they really pack a punch, you know, when you put your foot down, which is, I guess, part of the fun. And it's that's what, you know, EVs are definitely known for. It's instant torque. Absolutely. Well, you have a fascinating life. You're involved in so many cool things. So allow me to give you a proper introduction. But before I do, I want to ask you what I ask all my guests. What's one little thing that people don't know about you? Well, I'm I'm a massive geek, if I'm really honest with you. Of course, I you know people know that I studied computer science and, and, and whatnot. But I'm actually a really big fan. In the evenings, I can watch documentaries for hours and hours, whether it's about the French Revolution or the Second World War or the latest technology, et cetera. And I just find it like really, you know, soothing. So sometimes you can find me in my office late at night, just staring at my screen, reading about a random topic. And I think that always surprises people uh, uh, quite a bit. You know, I'm not surprised what I've learned about you. And we're going to learn a lot more today about your background. You seem to be a kind of guy that likes to dig in to a lot of different things and understand how they work. Is that a fair assessment? I think it's a fair assessment. I think I've done, of course, in my first venture, which was fintech. My second was crypto, now involved in automotive manufacturing, uh, which is pretty diverse in terms of industry. But I'd like to think that I can get dangerous quick enough for <laughs> any sort of subject matter. And, and it's, it's, it's so, so far, no one's really caught me, uh, uh, to the contrary. So. Well, well, it makes life exciting, that's for sure. Allow me to give you an introduction. Uh, Wouter Whitfoot is co-founder and chief executive officer of EV Technology Group. Before starting EVTG, uh, Wouter co-founded DeFi Technologies, which bridges the gap between centralized and decentralized finance. He founded and led SecFi, a San Francisco-based fintech company, and is the market leader in finance for startups. They've invested over $480 million in startups, including companies you've all heard of, DoorDash, Palantir, Uber, Snowflake, and many others. You do have your fingers in a lot of pies, that's for sure. Moak International was recently acquired by the EV Technology Group, a company that specializes in electrifying iconic brands to redefine the joy of motoring for the electric age. Moak CEO Isabel Danda was my guest last week on Cars yeah, 
you have surrounded yourself with some very interesting people. You have a background in computer science, as you said, and you graduated from University of Cambridge. So uh, we got a smart guy in our hands today. We're going to have some fun. We'll be back in just a moment. But first, a word from our valued sponsor. So please give them a little love. They're the reason the lights on are on around here. And we'll be right back. Covercraft's newest three-layer all-climate cover is especially engineered for moderate weather conditions and it's treated with an extra UV-resistant formula. It's soft, it's breathable, and it's easy to store, all while pampering your paint, providing maximum UV, rain, and dust protection. If you live where it's windy, no worries. Simply add their gust guards for windy conditions to add extra protection to keep your cover in place. Your three-layer all-climate cover is custom-tailored with Covercraft's attention to detail, form and fit with the quality and attention to detail that's been their tradition since 1965. Covercraft protects cars, trucks, motorcycles, RVs, trailers, and watercraft, too. Every one of my vehicles is protected with a Covercraft cover. And I have a deal for you. Use the code yeah 21 Y-E-A-H-21 at Covercraft.com and you'll get 10% off your Covercraft order plus free shipping. That's right. So get 10% off with free shipping by simply using the code yeah 21 at checkout. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. I was tired of my rates for my collector car insurance going up every year for no explainable reason. My carrier seemed to be turning into a media company versus an insurance company, and I realized that a portion of my policy premium was paying for all those so-called free media goodies. So I did my homework, I talked to knowledgeable collectors, shopped around, and discovered American Collectors Insurance. They've been serving the collector car hobby since 1976. You last that long by properly serving your customers' insurance need, not with a lot of fluff. ACI is ranked the number one online collector car insurance provider according to Google, Trustpilot, Facebook, and they offer their real person guarantee live support. No never-ending phone loops when you need help. Plus, because you don't use your classic car as a daily driver, you could save up to 40% compared to regular auto insurance. American Collectors Insurance provides agreed value policies. So if you experience a total loss to your collector vehicle or it's stolen, you'll be paid the amount listed on your declaration page, less any deductibles, of course. No ifs, ands, or buts. Give them a call today and ask for your free quote at 866-A-C-I-Y-E-A-H. That's 866-224-9324. Tell them you're a friend of mine, Mark Greens, at Cars Yeah. American Collectors Insurance, classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. Jim Canova is a past guest here on Cars Yeah, and he's detailed over 8,000 vehicles. And that kind of professional experience leads to innovation. He was tired of uncomfortable stools and creepers and being down on his knees when detailing cars. So as a result, Jim thought, you know what, there must be a better way. And he invented the Bumby Seat. His unique design gets you off your knees and your bum onto a far more comfortable seating position for all your low-level automotive detailing. The Bumby seat, with its patented full-flat design, allows you to adjust your position to the task at hand. Convenient side trays hold your car care products, tools, cloths, or a tasty beverage. Built for the toughest driveways and garage tasks, the Bumby seat has wheels that roll easily over almost any surface 
and it makes a great around-the-home adjustable stool for hobbies, yard work, or take it to the car show. The full-flat design makes storage a breeze. Jim has launched an Indiegogo fundraiser, and you can get in on the start of what's sure to be an industry favorite. Go to Indiegogo.com and type in Bumby Seat, that's B-U-M-B-E-E, Seat, to be one of the first in line to start improving your automotive detailing experience today. That's Bumby Seat on the Indiegogo.com website. A fun folding mobile seat design. So we are back. So we're going to dive a little deeper in the corner. I get the impression you're a car guy. You love to drive. You said manuals go fast and have some fun. Let's talk a little bit about EV Technology Group because as if you're not already busy enough with everything else you're doing, you decide to venture into automotive manufacturing. That is a difficult, challenging field. There's this other guy named Elon out there somewhere I hear that's doing some of the same kind of stuff. So why this area now after all the other successful companies you've been involved with? Yeah, it's, it's, I've always built every company that I uh, started around a passion and, but also a, a, a very specific investment thesis that I had on an industry. And when I was just thinking, you know, last summer about what I wanted to do next, uh, you know, part of me was looking at like the EV revolution that obviously everybody can see that we're going through. I think there's no question in, in most people's minds that EVs are here to stay and that's the path forward. But as I was thinking about the next vehicle that I wanted to buy, and I call myself, uh, you know, a self-proclaimed petrol head, if you will, like I love driving cars, and I can take my cars out for a different reason than going from A to B. Like, I don't have to have a destination in mind to drive my car. As I was looking at the sort of array of you know possibilities of cars that I could purchase, there was really none that really appealed to me. And the reason for this is that most talk about the utilitarian nature of having a car, which is going from A to B. And that I think, you know, your listeners better, but I think there's a lot of people that listen in that can buy a car for different reasons because of the brands, et cetera. And rather than sort of waiting for what's out there, similar to my previous ventures, I figured out, okay, let's do something about it. So I founded EV Technology Group and really, really focus on acquiring existing brands and then making them go electric kind of, taking that existing brand equity that's there and then leveraging that going forward. And that's kind of the genesis of uh, the company. Well, it's very cool. When Isabel was on the show, her background is with major, huge brands. And to make that shift from those giant brands to Moak, and I'm familiar with Moak because I like cars. I like old classic cars. I had a lot of old classic cars. And I asked her this question. I go, transitioning to Moke and then going to electric. This is a very interesting step. So I'm going to ask you the same thing because I get the feeling you're a guy that likes sports cars. Is that a fair assessment? I like sport cars. I like fun and leisure cars. You know, so they fall for me to fall into that same category of like, they're not cars you need, but they're cars you want. Ah. And I think I have a lot of that, you know, that love for cars, basically. Yeah. One of the things Isabel talked about was the Moke being a vehicle that is not a daily driver type car. It's a fun car. It's a beach car. You go down to your boat or to the beach or the club or whatever. You're in Saint-Tropez. I mean, <laughs> this is like the perfect setting. The vision I have of Saint-Tropez and the Moke as this fun vehicle to move around, have some fun. How do you see the Moke working for the, who the Moak buyer is. Yeah, I think the, the Moak buyer is typically a buyer that doesn't take themselves so seriously. They're about having some fun. 
they can maybe afford a very luxurious sports car that is five times the price of a Moke, but they choose to drive the Moke because they know that's actually the cooler car to drive, like you said, to the beach, uh, to your villa, to do some grocery shopping or take some friends out for a ride. And I think that's very much also the trend that we're seeing um, in, 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 in that category. And, and Moke is like a real brand. Obviously, you can, you can create a, a similar type of daily, not a daily driver, but like a car that can take you to the beach, but it doesn't have that appeal of the Moke that, of course, has been around since 1964 and has all the celebrity endorsement and history behind it. And I think that's what, how people want to identify themselves. And that's what makes that car so relevant. I think so. This seems to be a trend in the what I call the reimagined world. You think of Rob Dickinson, who's been a guest several times here with the singer. That's one of my dream rides is to have him build me a singer. I understand now he's going to stop building the first platform and they're building that turbo version, which is kind of fun because I had I just sold an 87 turbo I had for a long time. So I like that whole concept. But there's other people doing this, too, even with people like Rod Emery or John Wilhoyt or the RSR Project who are taking old cars and making them fun and enjoyable. I just had a guest on the show. They're building Broncos and Scouts. And I I, I asked about EV. They couldn't quite talk about it yet, but they're going to come back because I think they've already got something going on. Do you see this as a big trend in the automotive world? Because people of my generation, I'm a boomer guy. At least that's what my kids call me. They make fun of me, but I'm going to wear that badge with pride. Uh, we've been around for a while. Do you see this as a, mo- a motion or movement in the automotive world of not only with Moke, but other people thinking, you know, we want to bring back that fun part of driving for people and there's plenty of people now that have the money even millennials are getting into cars of the 80s and 90s is this a big trend you look I, th- I think it's a it's a, it's a big trend but everything of course is always relative right i think that there's a lot of people looking at the space and what ev has, has created effectively is that old car like doing these type of projects has become a lot easier because back in the day you would need to have the sport support of an oem for the ice car uh, into the combustion engine, the transmission, the uh, surfacing, the maintenance, etc. If you look at the, the EV sort of architecture, it's effectively, you know, to boil it down, it's of course the, you know, the powertrain, the battery, the, the sort of, uh, the ECU that manages everything and a few other components, but it's drastically simpler. So that's why it, it allows for a lot more creativity. I think the, the, of course, the real volume play is still you know, in, in the daily drivers, right? In the in the sort of uh, the the Teslas of the world, etc. But I think this luxury segment that, that that is really growing, and I think there's a lot of people that have great ideas and are doing something very cool in the space. Absolutely, with EV Technology Group, I assume a guy like you, there's more beyond Moke. Is that? That's right. Yeah. Is there anything you can share with us that you're looking towards in the future? Yeah, sure. So. I, I think the best example of what we're trying, of what I'm trying to build is, uh, so, so Louis Vuitton has been very successful in doing this in the, in the, in the luxury fashion space where they effectively have a few cornerstone brands with, which they acquired and really turned it into a global sort of fashion house. But beneath that sort of, call it sort of the, 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 the fashion world sits like a ruthless execution machine, which is something that we were also building up. But on top, what I see, what we're looking for when I, when I mention like iconic brands, we, we need something that is still like relevant enough. There might be still owner's plot. There might be still people fixing this old car of this brand, but it's not really being continued. It just 
sits with as a trophy asset with an entrepreneur or etc. What we wouldn't do, which is also something I think we consciously looked at, we wouldn't go back to, let's say, a classic car from the 1920s or 30s because it's too far away. Like you don't identify with that. And there's many people that have pitched me these type of ideas, but it's too far fetched. It's too far along. You need to be able to stretch it all the way to 2022 and uh, not all sort of brands lend themselves to that. So that's not a direct answer to your question, but it gives you a bit of a directional flow of what we're looking at. I had the uh, director at Scion Racing, and they're building the P1800 vehicle that I'm going to be seeing, the Quail. And that's another example of a car that's just old enough, but people remember it. Right. And it's one of those incredible designs that came out of Volvo. Like, who? how did Volvo do this? The box designer <laughs> created a cool car. You know, they ended up on a TV series. So I assume that's the idea, the concept of what you're sharing here. Yeah, correct. And and like Moog falls into, the reason Moog falls into that category, because, because of course the original car is from 1964, but you remember it, there's enough people like driving it, so it fits that kind of like that exact sort of picture. So we're, we'll be looking for brands in that space. And, you know, I think over the summer, later this year, there will be more, more announcements to share with, you know, yourself and your listeners and, and other people uh, that are tracking our company. Well, I look forward to having you back on and share some of that stuff. It sounds like you're having fun. I like to ask my guests about what I call driving inspirations, people that are key mentors in your life, supporters, influencers. Is there somebody like that for you? So people have asked me this question like before in terms of real true mentors. And maybe this is, I don't know why. Maybe this is because I never really could work with a mentor. Maybe it's too complicated. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm interested in too many different subjects. But I never really had a mentor. But what I would say is I do look at clear business leaders that have really done things right, you know, in, in terms of Steve Jobs' dedication into as a, as a comeback kit. You know, I, I've been through several grinds myself, like startups are not easy. And sometimes you kind of get it wrong, but sometimes you have to really stick to your idea. So there's been like lessons in those type of figures, but to, but not really as a mentor, more as like a intellectual reading, if you will, and then kind of studying some of the behaviors and, and evolution. So that's been more my um, my my learning uh, process, basically. Certainly a guide to look up to. Yeah, I think it's kind of like your head. It sounds like your brain's spinning in a lot of different directions. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crawl into your skull a little later in our talk today and see what <laughs> happens when we get there. We're going to take a short break and thank our sponsors. We come back. I want to talk about a challenge because you live in the world of startup challenges, and I want you to share one that gave you a lesson that taught you how to move forward in a positive way versus uh, the negativity about it. So keep that in mind and we'll be right back. AutoGeek's Blackfire SiO2 Spray Sealant. It's a spray-on, wipe-off sealant that's quick, safe, and easy to clean and protect your vehicles. I love using it on all my cars. AutoGeek's Blackfire SiO2 Spray Sealant is a spray-on, wipe-away sealant that uses SiO2 ingredients to provide a slick, brilliant, and long-lasting shine. Silicon dioxide is known to be one of the most effective ingredients in car care products, and Blackfire Spray Sealant takes advantage of every stunning feature it has to offer. This sealant will protect your paint from road film, dirt, and other common contaminants while providing an impeccable, long-lasting, hydrophobic surface that forces water to sheet and bead on your paint for months. Go to autogeek.net to get yours and for the best product selections on the internet today, along with their skilled technical support. Autogeek.net is where I go for all my detailing needs. That's autogeek.net. Check them out today. 
Linkage. It's a new quarterly publication and website that covers the automotive market, driving, restoring, collecting, and discovering your passion for motor vehicles. Linkage is about experiences, opinions, and values. Linkage is an actual, informed, reasoned opinion based on first-hand experiences. A talented Linkage team covers the automotive world, the people who share your passion and mine, smart, considered, rational, and experienced opinions, ones you can learn from and grow. That includes our passion that drives auctions and the collector car market. So come with me and join us on this journey. And be sure to use the code CARS YEAH when you subscribe and they'll give you $10 off. Boom! Linkage, geared for the automotive life. Subscribe today at LinkageMag.com. If you're listening to this program, there's a pretty good chance you believe what I believe that the collector vehicles we love are more than just a means of getting from one place to the other. They're a part of our culture, our identity, and as a people, they bring us together at vintage races, classic car auctions, and thousand-mile rallies. That's why I support the RPM Foundation, which exists to ensure that the critical skills necessary to preserve and restore these important vehicles aren't lost to time. RPM stands for Restoration, Preservation, and Mentorship, and their goal is to inspire the next generation of vehicle restoration professionals through its outreach programs. And they include Shop Hop, Off to the Races, the RPM Future Class, and many others. These programs engage talented young people across the country and connect them with mentors and a variety of opportunities in the industry. For more information on how the RPM Foundation is driving the future of collector vehicles skill trade, visit rpm.foundation today. So the big challenge question, I have a feeling this isn't going to be too hard for you, although I'm guessing you're the kind of guy that looks at failure as a good thing because you pushed until the breaking point, but we'll kind of see. So walk us through a really tough situation, business, career, life. That doesn't really matter. It's more about what did it teach you so you can move forward in a positive way? What was that lesson learned from that situation? Yeah, I, I think what, what's, what's always tough or what's always like a sort of lesson. And, and I, I've had this both at EVT. I've had this at SecFi, I've had DeFi. I think when, when you talk about what you've done, you kind of highlight the things that you're successful at, but it doesn't really teach you anything about, you know, the, the kind of process that you followed. And I think, you know, especially as it, you know, the, my, my first startup, you know, SecFi, like raising funds for a very new business that was just coming off the ground is incredibly, incredibly difficult. You know, so I think, you know, I don't know what the number is, but before we raised, uh, you know, first round of equity, we've heard about 50, 50 different no's, but you have to keep going and believing. And it's very tough, you know, because at the time, you know, I was living in a $50 shared Airbnb in San Francisco, which is not very glamorous at all, but people don't really know that right. and don't really see that. And it's just, and for every business venture, it's probably, it, it, it is roughly similar, right? For EV technology group, it's the same story where the, the first check where people start, it's always the most difficult and the, the last 10% or 20%, everybody wants to be invested, wants to invest, right? And, that's the kind of grind that I think has taught me a lot how difficult it is. And, and also that if you've done it once, doesn't mean that the second time it's easier. <laughs> it's just the same, same thing in a different, for a different idea. 
So I think those are uh, some of the things to highlight. I had a, a great friend. I lost him a few years ago, sadly. But Bruce Levin, who was uh, very successful in business, he was a race car team owner too. Raced uh, incredible series of cars. Had some of the best drivers, Bobby Ray Hall and other people, race for him. And I, I had lunch with him one day, and I said, "Bruce, tell me." I asked him a similar question, and he said. You know, Mark, he said, I was really successful in the trash business. That's where I made my money. He started a tra- collecting trash. He bought a truck and, and I mean, he became very, very wealthy. Yachts, airplanes, jets, I mean, all this stuff. And he thought, I thought I was so smart that I could do anything. And then I went into the car industry and started selling cars. He bought car dealerships. And he goes, I don't know what I was doing. He goes, I lost a lot of money. I went back to trash. But it was an it, hearing him say that because you look at people and go, well, you're always successful. So that begs the question, a lot of people never make it past that no stage. They keep hearing no's and they finally go, ah, I'm done. But people like you, Steve Jobs, I mean, Elon Musk, all these other people that raise a lot of money to build these empires. How do you get past the no? Like what happens in your head that keeps you going after 50 no's? You know, it's, I think it's, for me, it's, it's a very good question. And maybe the, the reason it's difficult to, to answer is maybe the reason that we keep going. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's also about if, if I'm, I'm a strong believer that, you know, if you really tell me that my idea is wrong and you can tell me, you know, analytically basically why I'm not correct, maybe I'll sort of reevaluate but if I'm just still really believing that this is a market, here's a, here's a solution for a problem in that market, it's going to take more than 50 or 100 no's uh, to get me off that idea, basically. And it doesn't mean that, that I've never failed at a venture. Like I've, I've had ideas that were ideas that never got off the ground, so to speak. But that was more because, okay, so I became convinced, okay, this is not the path to take. And that was usually like a short sort of, you know, uh, learning exercise, if you will. Well, I learned that in my early in my career when a guy I worked with, I had to go door to door selling. I worked in advertising. And, you know, after my first day, I'm like, hey, everybody said, no, how do you do this? He goes, well, a no is just maybe a yes tomorrow. I remember saying that. I went, oh, you mean they might say yes tomorrow? He goes, oh, yeah. You don't give up. You know, they just didn't need you today. They might need you tomorrow. So that's kind of what got me through that but it was it was hard especially as a young guy knocking on doors back in the old days without internet or any of that kind of fun stuff for sure so well let's talk about bucket list i may be going a little too far out but i have a feeling that you're a guy whose universe is very expansive beyond what you're doing today other ideas out there you have in your head so i think when you talk about like bucket list of things that i want to do i think you know this is sort of my fourth company i think i've started Three companies that have really solved problems, you know, a very specific thing. I think my, my bu- bucket list is really what I want to do with EV Technology Group is just make that a lot bigger than all the other companies combined because I think the opportunity is so bigger, but the challenge is also vast. Like you say, you, you're mentioning it already correctly, like automotive is definitely not an easy sector. There haven't been many people that are very passionate that have earned a lot of money in, in the sector. And I think, you know, to try and prove that sort of statistic of failure wrong is, I think, a very big challenge. But it's something that I'm very excited about, you know, taking on. And I think that that is my ultimate bucket list in terms of building building that out. I've had a lot of guests on the show in the battery industry, particularly uh, to talk about how to supply vehicles with that technology and improve it. 
What are one or two huge challenges you see with this massive, very fast track to EV? Because I've talked here in the United States, it's our power grid structure is just not there. It, it, it we talk about this, and maybe I'm wrong, but a lot of these people in the battery technology, especially people like I guess from Israel, uh, from Switzerland, other parts of the world, have said, "You guys in the U.S. are kind of behind the curve here. You need to catch up a little bit." And I don't think our government is supporting that enough. It doesn't seem like it, especially with the most recent uh, round. I think they said five billion or something. I mean, there's going to be a lot more money needed than that. What do you see as the the obstacles to overcome this push to put everybody into EV? Yeah, I I think the way that I'm of course looking for a very particular mindset, the mindset of EV technology group, which is kind of what I believe is if we all want to make the switch. Yes, there needs to be better battery technology. Yes, there needs to be better grid infrastructure. But what I, what, what I'm kind of focused on is what you also need is you need to create that poster that the 12 year old boy or girl hangs above their, 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 you know, their bed that is not a V12 Ferrari. And that needs to be an interpretation of an EV vehicle. And I think if we want to convert like the, the sort of big majority to EV and get that change of mindset, we need to start to create those vehicles and those are not being created at the moment. So what I'm focused on really is focus on that particular thing that I know what my focus is. And then I know that other people are also working on other problems that are very important. So that's kind of how I'm isolating the thing that we can, we can focus on. You can see that comment brought a big smile to my face because as a boy, that car hanging, you know, on my wall, I mean, the uh, the Daytona Ferrari, the uh, Countach, uh, the Porsche Turbo when it first came out in the 70s. So that leads us into cars with you. What was that poster on your wall when you were a young boy? <laughs> I didn't have a... I, I actually didn't have a poster, you know, as a, as a young boy, um, you know, in my room. But what is funny about kind of my first sort of car story, my real interaction is that I know I'm, you can't see this, of course, but I'm, I'm actually six foot seven, which is a pretty, you know, pretty, pretty tall fella. But my first car was actually, you know, a smart 4.2 made in 1999. So you can imagine your, you know, your six foot seven Dutch guy fitting into a smart 4.2, which is, which is kind of the sight. And it's something that is still kind of, you know, memorable uh, to me about that experience. Uh, okay. I would have never thought that. A smart fort. Oh, my gosh. That's that's like crazy. I, I had a friend whose dad was very tall, and he bought a, a Lotus Elan way <laughs> back when. And he used to have to fold himself into that car to be able to drive it. So a smart four two. Wow. So <laughs> you don't see those around too much anymore. Not, not too many, no. <laughs> yeah, that, that's wild. So I alluded to this earlier. I'm going to be your car psychologist today. I'm going to crawl into your skull a little bit here. What would you be in the means of a car if you were reincarnated, pun intended, manifest as a vehicle? This isn't what you want to be. This is how you perceive the man in the mirror. What would outer be, but more importantly, why? Thinking about this, and I think I would be a Lamborghini tractor. Oh, okay. Here we go. <laughs> because it's luxury, because it's a Lamborghini tractor. Right. It's functional. I, I think it's reliable. Uh, and it's in there for like the long haul, um, which I think are, you know, rather than the, the flashy Lamborghini, I think it's the Lamborghini that fits, fits the best with me. Now, this is interesting in another way. 
Ferruccio Lamborghini, of course, started his career as a tractor builder and then evolved into the sports car manufacturer we know today. And people that aren't car people, when you say, well, he first made tractors, they look at you like, what? I mean, even Porsche made tractors, right? But that's kind of how I see you, a guy who's evolved into different technologies and different parts. So that's a very interesting answer. That's why I like to answer that question so um yeah it's uh it's a fun one so uh, Jer- do you see the series jeremy clarkson did about his farm owning the farm yeah yeah, 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 yeah. i it's found Italy squat. <laughs> yeah yeah i found that a very at first i said what is he doing but i loved that whole series it, it showed a side of him that i don't think we'd ever seen before kind of the arrogance that he can have kind of evaporated and his humbleness especially at the end of bowing to farmers and how hard they work to bring food to our tables and so forth. But I love the scene where he went to buy tractors and he goes, ah, these are way too slow. I got to buy a Lamborghini. So uh, interesting answer. Now you create opportunities for people to be successful. And I like to ask my guests about how they give back in the automotive sector, but particularly the way you raise finance for other brands to build and grow. Is that how you see yourself as a bit of a philanthropist? Look, I'm, I'm 32 years old. And of course, with a lot of the uh, people that I work with, they have vastly more experience in their respective fields or their experts or, uh, they're older or, or, you know, have, have a different kind of, um, uh, way. So, so basically what I like to think is that, uh, I like to sort of enable others to do things a certain way. And I think when you look at the automotive space, I think, They've for a very long time looked at the, the world a certain way. And I think we now at a sort of inflection point, I like to use that word, where we can, we can actually do, do a lot more and sort of bring some, bring different people together from automotive. I, of course, come from entrepreneur, um, uh, ship world. And then also with kind of a, a team that is very analytically and strategically focused and, and create sort of a melting pot that can do great things together. But, it, it's a style of leadership of you don't really tell people what to do, but you kind of help them enable to get the most out of what they already know. Sure. And I think that's what I'm trying to, whether that's philanthropy, I'm not sure because I'm also just very driven by my own goals and my own uh, achievements, of course. But I think in, in that process, you can do good for everyone around you, of course, as well. Where did this entrepreneurship come from for you? Were your parents entrepreneurs? So my parents, uh, one of which I still have, uh, are both actually educated nurses. Really? Um, but uh, my, my dad moved into, uh, you know, developing software for nursing practices. Okay. So I guess there's an element of that. But it's also need-driven. I mean, the other... The other reality is that after I graduated from Cambridge, I tried to become, you know, a, a consultant, a banker at Goldman Sachs and whatever. But at the final round, I think every partner said, no, you need to do something for yourself. So there you go. Yeah. You know, you I, I was I was rejected at the last round at every single firm. So, you know, I had to sort of do it, do my own thing. Well, you know, this little brief encounter of meeting you. They were all fools, but uh, in a good way, that helped you uh, move to where you should be. But maybe, maybe they God. were smart. Maybe they knew. Thank God. Well, yeah. You know, isn't that funny when we, we miss out? I always tell people when they're frustrated and they miss out on something, you just dodged a bullet you didn't know had your name on it. 
Exactly. You know, so, uh, yeah, so they steered you the right way, but uh, they did miss out. I think I've heard the same about some other great uh, entrepreneurs in the past that uh, nobody would want to hire them. I think even I mentioned Elon earlier. He, he has said nobody would ever hire me. <laughs> so I, we kind of see why, right? <laughs> I, I would second uh, second that statement. Yeah, I don't think I'm I'm very hireable. That's a great thing. It enables you to bring some wonderful things to the rest of us. Now, how about a great book? Uh, are you avid book reader? Is there a book you'd like to share with our listeners? So, um, I actually have to admit shamefully that I don't read any books at all. But I I like this is and this is my thing. I like to sort of I need small sort of small sound bites. So, but I can get completely lost on Wikipedia. You can find me like clicking through links, learning about history and about how things become or like small sound bites on, on YouTube, whether it's like mathematics or physics or a documentary on masterclass or whatever. So I try to sort of focus on those type of content that really interests me rather than the, the longer sort of books. Of course, with many books you have to read at like Cambridge, but those are so long ago. <laughs> couldn't recommend you anything. I, I, you know, I kind of, well, I don't kind of, I understand that concept. And I've heard that from some other guests as well that have a mindset as I envision yours being that they don't even have the time to sit down and focus on that one long thing. There, there's so much stuff going on. Is that, would you say that's what's happening in, in your head in a way? Yeah. And I, I look, the, the one, the one thing that I like most is like to look at problems. There is this, because what interests me is like problems rather than reading about, you know, the solution, if you will, which is often what a book is about. So if you look at one of the YouTube channels called, called Number File, which is about mathematical problems that is super, you know, super complicated to solve, but they do it in a very elegant way. I can spend two hours trying to work out some problems and try to find solutions and, and learn new things. Those are more my the things that I really enjoy. Which is very geeky, again. Well, <laughs> you and my wife, Jill, she loves mathematics. She's an engineer, studied engineering, and her fun is is solving problems and things. And she's referenced that same site. And I'll go and look over her show and go, ah. <laughs> she goes, oh, this is so cool. When our kids got into advanced mathematics and in high school, she got so excited. She bought her own textbooks. So she could have her own to make all the notes in so she didn't mess up the kids' books. So, uh, yeah, that's a, a very unique mindset. So I'm going to enable you to go on the ultimate drive today. I'm going to buy you any car in the world. This is kind of a fun thought. I'm going to park it in your driveway. You can take it anywhere you'd like. But here's the funner, more fun, funner? Not even a word. A more fun part of this is you can take anybody with you, even somebody from the past which opens up a wonderful world of discussion and topics and things like that. So uh, what does the ultimate drive look like for you, Valter? Well, I mean, this may be a cliche, but I, I would definitely pick a Moak, um, obviously, because oh, okay. we, we just we just um, launched the Moak. Yes. And I'd probably, uh, probably take my mother, who is uh, unfortunately long, no longer with us, but she's not really got to enjoy many of the things that I've done in the past few years. So I'd just love to take her on a drive, probably actually not at the beach, probably through the mountains somewhere in Switzerland where she can go and take a hike Yeah, and just uh, just really have a conversation about all the things that are sort of going on. I think that would be just a lovely ride and lovely, you know, setting and a lovely car. And I think that would be, that would be really beautiful. I'd love nothing more to do that for you. That would be pretty darn special. No doubt. No doubt. She's looking down with a huge smile, a proud uh, <laughs> smile on her face uh, for her son. That's 
fantastic. And a moak, what more fun could you have? You know, just I agree. Yeah, you don't have to be moving <laughs> too fast, which is sometimes good to kind of slow down in life and enjoy the scenery. You've taken us on a fabulous ride today uh, in the moak and uh, around your world. I can't thank you enough for sharing what you're doing and for what you're doing too uh, to help promote people and bring back some fun things, especially with the moak. Before I let you go, would you share a couple words of wisdom, advice, or inspiration for our listeners? Yeah, I, I think one of the things that I really have learned that I try to tell people is rather, you know, I, I try to be good at one particular thing that I know I can be good at, and that's really served me well. So none of the SecFi or DeFi or whether it's some other accomplishment, they are not the biggest company in the world, but they're very good at exactly what they're doing. And I think too many, many people try to chase everything or try to be the Elon Musk and supply cars for everything or try to be everything to everybody in the market. And I think if you try to focus on what you really do well, uh, you can be a winner or a market leader in that particular segment. And that gets you very far and it gets you to the next thing and et cetera. And I think that's just that realization has helped me a lot in my career and in startups that I've formed. And I think that can, that can really help others as well. Great advice for sure. How can people learn more about EV technology group? I'll learn more about Moak and also SecFi. Yeah, I think they can go to uh, eptgroup.com where it has much more information. Um, people can always almost email. I email back actually. So uh, it's W-O-U-T-E-R, Wouter at eptgroup.com. And also a previous company, so secfi.com uh, as well. So um, you'll find more information there. Absolutely. Cool. I want to do a shout out to our mutual friend, Nick Francis, Associate Director of Influence Associates. Nick has brought me some wonderful guests. So Nick, thank you very much. Vouter, thank you for spending some time out of your busy schedule with me today. You are fascinating. The companies are fascinating. Can't wait to see what's next. Hopefully I can have you back on the show sometime in the future with some more fabulous things you're doing. Thank you so much for your time today. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road, hopefully in a moke. Thanks a lot for having me. It's a pleasure. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!